Welcome to Focus on Fertility. I'm Dale Bader, your host. And Focus on Fertility is going to be a podcast specially designed to providing you with expert information related to overcoming infertility and traveling down the road of fertility towards parenthood. Today on our inaugural podcast, we have a very special guest with us. We have Dr. Peter Allering, the medical director of MCRM Fertility. Welcome, Dr. Allering. Thank you so much, Dale. I appreciate your inviting me. So, Dr. Allering, give our listeners a little bit of background. Uh, how did you get involved into the interest of reproductive medicine? Well, that is a long story, no doubt, but I'll try to uh, make it brief. But, um, uh, you know, I was originally uh, trained in the realm of general obstetrics and gynecology, and I uh, was working with my father and two brothers, actually. All three of us, or all four of us, were involved in uh obstetrics and gynecology and practice together. And in the mid-1990s or so, uh, I became interested in um, understanding more about patients who have uh, miscarriages as I was seeing a lot of that in my practice as an OBGYN. And naturally, over the course of time, uh, you start to get interested in how all the pregnancy begins, of course, with... um, conception and implantation. So um, I became more interested in understanding the dynamics of those things at that time back in the mid and late 90s. Uh, So uh, as things progressed over time and technology uh, improved, uh, I started to get into just understanding again fertility issues. So it was kind of a uh, natural progression it seemed, just going backwards in time if you will from uh, miscarriages that we would see at six, seven, eight weeks pregnancy, and just going back to uh, the the time of conception and understanding that, and then you start looking at uh, IVF and infertility from that perspective. Now, I understand, Dr. Allering, one of your key topics of interest is digging deeper on the male factor of infertility. Yes, yeah, so back in uh, the early 2000s, uh, this concept of DNA fragmentation was introduced uh, to the clinical scene through uh, a friend of mine and colleague who actually works uh, in South Dakota. His name's Dr. Evenson, who sort of invented, if you will, the clinical application of um, DNA fragmentation testing. And uh, we'll get to that here in a minute, but um, you know, it quickly uh, became apparent back then, 15 years ago or so, that um, the world of uh, male infertility was uh, largely ignored. People did not uh, take um, seriously the male evaluation that sperm seemed to take a back seat to the egg, so to speak. And uh, it, it, that that idea just um, made me get interested in understanding more and certainly since uh, the, the early 2000s, uh, assessment of the male factor and the importance of the male factor in uh, fertility problems has really just come about. Miscarriages, uh, getting pregnant, if you will, maintaining pregnancies, uh, the influence of the male factor has really come of age and it obviously is a lot more important than we had given it credit back in the day. Dr. Allering, I've been doing a little bit of research and realize the Centers for Disease Control 
estimate that about 15% of the U.S. population, or about one in eight couples, have to overcome infertility. How often do you see in your practice that the male factor becomes a, a real important piece of the infertility struggle these couples are dealing with? Well, it's obvious uh, that, you know, the male component is important for all pregnancies. I mean, not to be silly, but that's obvious. Uh, and with that said, I mean, how often is it really a a factor uh, that one would consider pathologic or abnormal? Probably on the order of about 50, 60 percent of the time, there's going to be some level of male issue uh, diagnosable with proper testing. And certainly um, it has a significant impact on how you think about that uh, couple um, and how you manage their their case and what their options are. So understanding as completely as possible the male component and um, the influence of the male factor, obviously that's going to be a big deal. So uh, it's significant in all cases, basically, but certainly you would point to it as being a, a real issue in probably 50%, 60% of the time. It's just a, it's obviously more prevalent than you would think. One of the big reasons for Focus on Fertility and that, that I wanted to take this interest in help bringing this about was my wife and I struggled with infertility about 10 years ago, so we have a personal connection going through this very uh, difficult struggle. And Unfortunately, we had to deal with male factor as one of our issues. But back then, and I assume that's still the case in many cases today, it started at my wife's OBGYN, uh, did some testing there. Then they said, okay, let's take a look at the male side. And I was sent off for a SEMA analysis. The results came back. The OBGYN said, okay, let's take you to the next level and go to a urologist. And went to a urologist, had some more testing done, and several months down the road, and then we found our way to a reproductive specialist. So is this a, a trend and a course that you would often see and recommend that gentlemen go through? Or, you know, is a basic semen analysis the right way to get things started? Yeah, I think this is a common um, situation as well, that just what you experienced it really hasn't changed even since when I was uh, practicing OBGYN. Those are things that we used to do. We sort of had our our way of managing these situations, um, and typically what you experience is exactly what we used to do back in the late 80s and early 90s and mid-90s even. And to this day, unfortunately, some of these things are just continued. Uh, but, you know, the science and technology has changed a lot for evaluating the male factor, and it can be done in a lot more streamlined, efficient manner, um, but tradition is often hard to get, uh, get away from sometimes. But I would say that uh, the, the starting with an OBGYN seems to be a natural uh, process for the females, and by uh, extension, the males uh, get, get involved on that. And the OBGYNs, you know, just typically aren't uh, equipped to handle male factor in their office so they'll naturally outsource to get a semen analysis uh, either at a, a andrology center such as what we have here at MCRM or they'll go to uh, what I call a reference lab like a hospital or Quest or, or something like that and uh, you know the the semen analysis that are done at these institutions there's nothing wrong with that the basic semen analysis as you referred to it certainly is okay for looking at things like count and motility, and that's about all they do is these quantitative parameters. That's helpful, no question about it, as a screening tool perhaps, but 
um, it's really suboptimal and inadequate uh, in these days in really getting a full, full understanding of uh, the male factors. We were talking about the DNA fragmentation testing as just a, an integral part um, of the assessment, not just uh, looking at the quantity aspect, but the quality is really what the DNA fragmentation looks at. And we know uh, through uh, more than a decade of study now that uh, the the qualitative parameters are very predictive of fertility potential regardless of what the quantity is. Even if the sperm count's completely in the normal range or in the uh, high normal range, it doesn't mean that, um, that the qualitative parameters are going to be good necessarily. So looking at those things is just crucial. That said, um, you know, no offense to urologists. Uh, some of my good friends are urologists. But, um, you know, they are generally not interested in andrology, which is the study of sperm. Urologists, um, you know, certainly do a great job for uh, surgical procedures and assessing, um, you know, the anatomical situation on the male side. But um, with respect to understanding the quantitative and qualitative parameters of the sperm itself, uh, this is generally not something that they, again, do in their offices. Uh, so uh, the andrology component, this, uh, the, the assessment of the sperm and semen per se, um, really is something that we do because we have a, a lab that is dedicated to doing these um, advanced and complex things. And the semen analysis actually is a, a pretty complicated test. There's a lot of things that we look at, and it's not just simply count and motility. There's definitely more to it on the quantitative and qualitative sides. But just again to your, to your point, looking at, um, you know, sort of bypassing uh, urologists uh, is often a much more efficient way to go about the process of uh, looking at male factoring, looking directly at the andrology component first, and then, of course, getting urologists involved uh, from that point can be useful, um, no doubt. You brought up two key topics or two words that I'm not quite as uh, in tune to, and I'm sure some of the listeners aren't. What is a, a qualitative or quantitative factor that you're kind of referencing there with regards to looking at semen? Yeah, the the uh, quantitative component is obvious. It looks at the volume and these measure uh, volume count, uh, concentration, uh, the total motility as a percentage. These are things that I refer to as quantitative parameters. And uh, the qualitative parameters are more uh, looking at um, the DNA component of the sperm, if you will, how the sperm is, how the sperm DNA is put together, so to speak. And the morphology is a crude assessment of the DNA structure. And that's a visual examination microscopically of the sperm. That's what the morphology is. And you can get an idea, of course, uh, on the the overall integrity of the specimen in that way. Um, the morphology has its flaws and faults. Uh, it's like judging a book by its cover in some sense. Looking at the sperm uh, is definitely useful in assessing the overall um, quality in that way. However, it's not really looking inside the sperm, so to speak. And that's what the DNA fragmentation and, um, component is. It really is looking at how the the DNA in the sperm is compacted, the chromatin material, how it's compacted and put together, and in some sense how fragile it is. 
these parameters of the quality of morphology and DNA fragmentation are very predictive of fertility potential of the specimen independent of the quantitative parameters. So that's really the value. It's definitely a, a complete assessment um, of, the, of the sample as a whole and its potential. That's really what we're looking at is its potential uh, with respect to um, uh, achieving a pregnancy, if you will. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I could have really good-looking numbers on a semen analysis, but yet still have DNA issues. Is that correct? That could hold, hinder my potential back? Absolutely. So the, the, the count and, and concentration are uh, obviously important, but that does not reflect quality, no question about it. And I noticed on your website, mcrinfertility.com, that there's a section on the DNA fragmentation, and there's a, a really unique chart there, kind of... It looks like there's like several numbers on the bottom, and as those numbers increase, it looks like chances for certain different types of uh, of being get, able to get pregnant, such right. as naturally or with IUI and, and other methods. Is that a, a pretty good use then to deciding what type of treatment might be the best course of action? No doubt about it. I mean, that, that graph I think that you're referring to is, is really kind of uh, a good one in my mind, just because... It is uh, taken from a study that was done some years ago that you know, clearly indicates that as this DNA fragmentation goes up, as it increases in any given sample, then the probability of conception naturally or more specifically with intrauterine insemination or IUI, the probability of conception goes down as the DNA fragmentation goes up as measured by that test. So it's extremely helpful again uh, to have the DNA fragmentation because it's very reproducible and objective as opposed to uh, some of these other things that we look at. They're very subjective and open to interpretation and and, and everybody knows that the quantitative parameters fluctuate from sample to sample. No two samples are going to have the same count and concentration and volume and all that stuff. The, the, The DNA fragmentation and morphology, if done properly, is uh, extremely uh, reproducible sample to sample to sample within the same individual. Extremely helpful for being able to predict uh, fertility potential, and this is why they're able to do the studies that indicate um, the influence that DNA fragmentation has on fertility. So uh, anyway, it's a great it's a great graph, and I encourage people to go look at it uh, on our website, mcrfertility.com, because it, it can be very... Uh, um, very helpful just to visually see, you know, the influence that we know occurs. So if I'm a gentleman and I have male factor, whether it's uh, my counts are off or I have DNA fragmentation, is there any advice that you can provide to help improve male factor uh, potential? Yeah, that's a great question, and it really is. Um, there, there's a lot of stuff out there in the world of uh, the Internet that, has been put forth to um, try to improve DNA fragmentation. There are some things that we know can be beneficial in in certain cases, such as repair of a varicocele, which is uh, typically diagnosed by the urologist on physical examination, testicular physical examination, or with testicular ultrasound. There's a lot of controversy about uh, varicoceles and whether uh, it's going to be a helpful uh, tool to um, surgically um, repair a varicocele. But in general, if there's significant DNA fragmentation and the couple 
has time, because it does take time to correct once the surgery is done, then, um, you know, varicocele repair can be useful. But uh, personally, I've found that it's rarely uh, helpful in the sense that most couples uh, are just not going to benefit because of other factors that are involved with their fertility issues. So, um, but that is one thing that we know may uh, be helpful in certain cases is varicocele repair to improve DNA, to improve DNA fragmentation. Now, that's a mouthful, but that said, the uh, the other things that people talk about are lifestyle changes. Of course, smoking and not well, not smoking. I think everybody knows that not smoking is uh, good for you, and it certainly can be uh, helpful in improving sperm qualitative factors. Um, but other lifestyle modifications, you know, generally healthy living, if you will, with um, weight control, diet, exercise, and these sorts of things can be beneficial. And uh, supplementation with uh, over-the-counter uh, products can also be helpful, though, again, that's controversial in understanding which supplement to take, uh, which and uh, what amount, and uh, the frequency. All of these things are difficult if uh, to, to really understand which one is going to be better than the next. So um, I think in general, you know, the things that may be uh, available to improve semen quality are going to be those things that I just mentioned, you know, diet, exercise, weight control, um, and not smoking, for example, uh, but also uh, potentially using uh, one or more supplements um, the antioxidants in particular. We have all this stuff on our website as well, recommendations, and certainly I can email these things to people uh, that we have written down that can be pretty succinct, easy uh, things to follow that can be helpful. But there's a lot of stuff out there that people claim. It's harder to understand what actually is going to be beneficial, however. So it's definitely helpful to talk about these things on a case-by-case basis with the couple. Lastly, uh, if count is low, Will abstaining have any benefit to helping out? You're asking all these tough questions. They're good questions, but they're uh, they're certainly on people's minds, no doubt about it. I mean, there's a lot of things that are that are uh, told to couples or males uh, before they collect a semen sample, either for diagnostic purposes, in other words, um, for a semen analysis. Um, but also, couples are told uh, a lot of do's and don'ts. Uh, during the course of IUI or IVF cycles in in the therapeutic sense. Uh, Things like you need to abstain for two or more days, and and gosh, in the old days we used to tell people a week or more, uh, in the theory that it would help improve the quantity. Um, And we we now know that uh, that's really not particularly helpful to abstain. In fact, there is something to the idea that there's this, uh, uh, you know, out with the old, in with the new, so to speak, with the sperm and the semen that, you know, generally um, having um, uh, intercourse or ejaculation prior to testing the DNA fragmentation or using a sample for IUI or IVF is going to lower uh, the DNA fragmentation. In other words, the sample can be better quality uh, by not abstaining. Um, the the abstaining is not uh, beneficial qualitatively, in other words. And quantitatively, it, it, the effect of uh, uh, ejaculation uh, before measuring the quantity is just not true. We know this from seeing patients with testicular cancer, for example, wherein uh, we will you know, obtain samples um, prior to the patient undergoing surgery 
uh, or chemotherapy, um, we will test uh, and save samples on a daily basis. And you would think that after four or five uh, samples that the base, basically there will be none left. And, uh, you know, we just know that's not true. There can be a count of 50 million on one day, and the next day it can be 60 million, and the next day it can be 30 million, and the next day it can be 50. So you're going to see these fluctuations occur, and abstaining is not going to have a significant effect on the quantity, uh, and it may have a detrimental effect on the quality. So that's a great question. Thank you, Dr. Allering, for that very insightful information. That's very helpful. And hopefully for those of you who are struggling for infertility and maybe you've been thinking that it's related to the male factor, this will assist you in guiding you down the path a little bit further. If you have questions specific for Dr. Allering, you can email him at pallering, that's P-A-H-L-E-R-I-N-G, at mcrmfertility.com, or you can always visit their website at mcrmfertility.com. It's filled with a bunch of useful information, including on this very topic, on male factor. If you've been trying to start your own family and haven't had success, you're not alone. Millions of people just like you are experiencing the same very personal and painful frustration. Infertility affects men and women equally. The Missouri Center for Reproductive Medicine, MCRM Fertility, can help. MCRM accepts most insurance and you don't need a referral. They offer the most advanced science and technology, including exclusive techniques and the embryo scope. Check them out at mcrmfertility.com. That concludes today's Focus on Fertility. Thank you very much to Dr. Peter Allering from MCRM Fertility for joining us today. Be sure to visit weekly for another important topic to assist you along your fertility journey. If you have any questions you would like to have answered or specific topics that you would like to hear discussed, please email me at questions at focusonfertility.net and to check out all episodes of Focus on Fertility, you can visit us at focusonfertility.net.